Let us stand in body or spirit as we listen with the ears of our hearts to today's gospel lesson, which comes to us from the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sally, for reading that. Some of you may have heard this joke before. Um, Sometimes religious people uh, identify themselves by who or what they do not recognize. So, for instance, Protestants don't recognize the Pope. Jewish people don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Methodists don't recognize each other in the liquor store. (laughs) For those of you who may be new to Methodism, we have a long heritage of being teetotalers and um, abstaining from alcohol, primarily because it was a a justice issue, uh, primarily because so many men were drinking away their paychecks, and who was suffering? Women and children. Um, In recent decades, the United Methodists have recognized that drinking in moderation is okay, good and faithful Christians, can drink in moderation, but we also have a a heart for those who are going through addictions to alcohol. That is why we use grape juice in the chalices when we have communion. So I want to start with a story, a true story of um, an experience I had in a pub in Northern Ireland. Julie and Matthew and Elizabeth and I heard that this one particular pub in a very obscure little town had folk music every night, not just on the weekends. And local musicians would come and would play together. And so we wanted to hear as much good Irish music as we could hear. And so we went to this little pub, an old pub. It must be over 150 years old. 
And in the front room, there were two fiddle players, two flautists, a piano player, and someone uh, on a tambourine, and they were making just beautiful music, fun. It was a joyful room, and there must have been 20 or so people packed into that one little front room. Next to that was the bar, and as in so many old pubs, there are little rooms off of hallways, off of rooms that very often you don't even see unless you are a regular there. So I got my pint of Guinness and I was exploring the place and I went into this one back room where no lights were barely on and I just poked my head in. And I looked around and I saw a couple at a table and I must have had this quizzical look on my face like I probably don't belong here or maybe I just walked in on their date. And they immediately said, oh, come in, like they were expecting me. So I came in, they said, oh, please sit down. I didn't even open my mouth. They didn't know if I was Protestant or Catholic in Northern Ireland. They didn't know if I was for Brexit or against Brexit. They didn't know what nationality I was. They didn't know what sexual identity I have. They didn't know anything about me. They just welcomed me. And soon into our conversations, which were delightful, more people came into that back room with the same kind of quizzical look, looked in, and this couple said, oh, come in. Soon the table they were sitting at was filled with people and the chairs on the other side of the room were also filled and we were all having conversation with one another because of this couple's welcoming spirituality. And it was a, a wonderful evening of good music and good conversation. And I must tell you, I, I wondered at times who, who these two were, that they would just welcome anybody without asking a question. Jesus was that kind of person who would just welcome anybody, no questions asked. And that got him into some trouble because those in the religious community thought, well, if you're going to interact with people, you must first check and see if they're righteous. You must first see if they're clean, if they're holy, and if they are not, we should not be talking with them. Those religious police were invested in things staying the same. And they were invested in people being of the same mind. Isn't it interesting that throughout the Gospels, one of the words that keeps coming up with Jesus is a very churchy word called repent. Repent means to turn around, to face in a new direction. Repent means to change. Repent is about transformation. It's about maturation. And yet, in Jesus' day and for the last 2,000 years, it seems like Christians 
and religious folks in the Judeo-Christian tradition have been wrestling with change and think often that to be faithful is just to adopt a belief system and not be transformed. Following Jesus is about being transformed into the likeness of Christ. But often we're not really interested in transformation. Neither were the people who were gathered watching Jesus welcome these sinners. In the beginning of the scriptures from Luke 15, the first verse, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, which were the religious police of the time, were grumbling. I wonder what they were grumbling about. I wonder if they were jealous that nobody was listening to them. Everybody was listening to Jesus. I wonder if they were grumbling because Jesus was changing the rules. And here are the rules that Jesus was trampling upon. They said, this fellow welcomes sinners, and this is the scandal, and he eats with them. Oh my God. To eat with a sinner was basically saying, you're forgiven. You're all right in God's eyes. To eat with sinners. <sighs> Religious people just didn't do that. And Jesus was saying, these folks are forgiven. In a guilt and shame culture, in a guilt and shame tradition, that played a role, and Jesus was just throwing that out. He was saying guilt has no place here. Shame has no place here. These tax collectors and sinners that you speak of, they're with me. They're at my table, and I love them, and I accept them. He goes on to tell that story of the lost sheep. He says to those who are giving him the stink eye, he says, if you were taking a hundred sheep out into the wilderness and one got lost, wouldn't you go and look for that one? And if you find that one sheep that was lost, wouldn't you put it on your shoulders and come back and rejoice and call your friends together and welcome them to a table and say, let's celebrate this one was lost and is now found. Or the woman furiously sweeping, looking for the lost coin, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and says, I found the lost coin, come rejoice with me. And Jesus says, there's more rejoicing in heaven when one of these lost ones is found than of all the rest of the righteous ones who don't change, who aren't interested in transformation. I put a post up on our Facebook page. If you're on social media, 
check it out. And if you agree with the sentiment that we posted last night, click like. Proclaim your values. If you really like the quote, share it. Put it on your own page. Here's the quote. It's from Thomas Merton. Our job as Christians is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. Our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. That's the kind of spirituality of Christ and of welcoming people and welcoming congregations. We're invited into this grand experiment as Christians of welcoming people who don't agree with each other into this space, into this community of love, into this pilgrimage of trust. We're invited to invite Yankees fans and Mets fans, Jets fans and Giants fans, Republicans and Democrats, traditional Christians and progressive Christians. We're called to welcome. I want to give each of you a gift today that may help us to remember that we're called into this ministry of welcoming, not just in this place, but everywhere. Can you see from where you are what's on the altar? What's on the table of the Lord? Pineapples. Two of them. Do you know that the pineapple, at least for the last 500, maybe 600 years, has been a symbol of hospitality, a symbol of welcome. Sometimes you see it on door knockers or painted into various motifs in homes or on front doors. Do any of you have pineapples in your architecture at home? Okay. When Europeans discovered the, the Caribbean, they discovered a fruit that they'd never seen before, a sweet fruit. They tried to bring these back to Europe and they didn't make the trek because it was too warm, the, the, the trip was too long. But if you had good weather and a fast ship, you could bring these to the new colonies where pineapples became a status symbol and they would actually be rented out by the day to folks who were having a big feast or festival or dinner in their home. They would rent a pineapple, put it on their table, and it became a status symbol. Oh, look, that family has a pineapple from the, the islands. The tradition continued into the colonial times in, in New England when ship captains would come back from their travels. They would take a pineapple and put it on a spike at their front door or at their front gate, which was a message to everybody in the community captain's home, come, come over and we'll have a meal and we'll tell some stories about what's happened since we last saw each other. And the pineapple became a symbol of hospitality and welcome. On your way out of church today, I want to invite you to take one of these little stickers. There's a, probably 10 different types of stickers all with the image of a pineapple on it. And I want to invite you to put it someplace where you alone will see it and know what it means. 
maybe in your cubicle at work, maybe in your office, maybe on your car dashboard, maybe in your mirror at home, maybe on your refrigerator, maybe somewhere where you will be reminded in a quiet way, ah, God is calling me to welcome someone today. And maybe that someone is a blessing in disguise. Maybe that someone is a gift to me, whether I agree with them or not. Maybe they're a gift. Maybe God is sending them as a messenger to me. Or maybe I'm called to just welcome someone who is weary and needs a place to sit down or needs a place to tell their story or needs a place where they won't be judged or needs a place where they will just be at home. Wherever that place is, God needs each of us to bless this world with a, a sense of hospitality and welcome. May God bless you and me and the church throughout the world that we might be used by God to welcome and provide hospitality. Amen.